I could say anything this morning. I want you to know that. The reason I thought this was going to be uh, uh, important that I be here today because uh, I was starting to write uh, earlier in the week for this morning's message and I felt like the Spirit of God said just, you know, go back and review some foundational things um, and it'd be good for the people to be reminded of these things and, um, you know, just just find that foundational thing and, and do it. And so I, I said, okay, Lord, I, I will do that. And so, and so the message today is, is why do I need to go to church anyway? <laughs> because I didn't want to go this morning. <laughs> Have you ever felt that way? I did. There's a story about a wife that was trying to uh, get her husband up for church one Sunday morning. And uh, she said, honey, it's time to get up. It's time to go to church. And he said, I'm not going to church. She said, well, why aren't you going to church? And he said, well, to be honest, they're just cold to me there. Um, nobody knows who I am. And to be honest with you, I just don't want to go. And she says, now, dear, dear, you, you, you know that's not true. You know that that church has warm-hearted members. And you know that there's a lot of people there who know your name. And furthermore, you're the pastor. And so <laughs> they're, waiting, they're waiting to hear you this morning, and you need, you need to go. Um, we've all felt that way. And I realize all of you are here today, and uh, so it's like preaching to the choir. But at the same time, I just want to sow some things out there, because there is an important uh, reason we gather in corporate worship. There is an important reason we gather in corporate unity. And uh, for most, it's a priority. I know I'm speaking to many here. It's your, it's your ongoing habit. And uh, so I know I'm preaching to the choir, but uh, at the same time, I just want to underscore some foundational things and hopefully it'll help you. And uh, I just thought it was uh, paradoxical that, uh, that that was the topic for this morning. I'd given a, the doctor a buzz this morning, um, trying to get in to see him. My doctor happens to do weekend hours and uh, it was one of his associates that was taking the phone call. And as I was talking to the associate, he was asking me questions. He was saying, how do you feel? How do you do this? How do you, you know, and he's just going through the list, symptomatic list. And then I, he, he was saying something about uh, he couldn't see me until later this afternoon. And I said, well, that's okay. I, I probably couldn't get to you till later this afternoon. And he said, well, why is that? I said, I'm a pastor. And he started laughing on the other end of the phone. And I said, why are you laughing? He said, well, are you going to go to church today? And, 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 you know, speak and or preach. And I said, well, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and press through and do that. He said, well, can I give you a bunch of my business cards? Because if you, if you hug and handle people, <laughs> so that's kind of how my mornings went this morning. The local church, Psalm 122 verse one. Do you have that? Psalm 122 verse one. David writes, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Are you glad? Are you glad to be in the house of God? If you aren't, then you need to be reminded of why you ought to be glad. Now, I suspect you would not be surprised that your pastor thinks being at church is important. But truth is, it really doesn't matter what I think. And it really doesn't matter what you think. It ultimately only matters what God thinks. And I can tell you that 
I know just from reading the scripture, even superficially, that Jesus attended synagogue, which was corporate gathering. In fact, Luke 4.16 says that he attended synagogue as was his custom. And that means that uh, he was there faithfully. And I figure if it was good enough for Jesus, then it's probably good enough for me. Jesus gathered groups in corporate expression from three people to 12 people to 5,000 families. Jesus was all about gathering together. In fact, he said in Matthew 16, he said that the church was the one place that the gates of hell could not prevail against. I'd say that was pretty important. The early church thought these ways as well. The first thing they did was gather together in the upper room. They had a 40-day prayer meeting. If, uh, if you weren't at that particular prayer meeting, you missed a light and sound show that uh, would uh, be the once and for all uh, mega uh, explosion you know, experience in that upper room. Flames of fire as tongues landing on their heads. A sound of a mighty rushing wind. An amazing thing took place when they gathered together. We are told that 3,000 were added to them and nearly 5,000 more a few days later. We find them going to temple. We find them meeting from house to house. We find them gathering under Solomon's portico, Solomon's porch, literally thousands of people. They had follow-up teaching. They had prayer meetings. They had meals. And it's said in Acts chapter 4 that when they gathered again, all in one place and in one accord, they, that God came and shook the place again. And so I know that the Bible teaches that there is to be a visible gathering of the church. But I thought to myself, why should it make us glad? I mean, I mean, a lot of us have gone to church because it's the thing we're supposed to do. There's a duty to it. We feel like we're supposed to do it. We've grown up in a ostensibly Christian culture. And so we've learned that that's just something we do in our lives. But why should it make us glad? Well, I'm going to give you just a few things here. And hopefully it'll make you glad hearing it. But I started just to scratch a few things out as to why I can say I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Number one, I get to worship the Lord in a setting like no other. I mean, I get to sing in the shower on occasion. Which, by the way, I'm pretty good in the shower. You probably are, too. You're probably good in your automobile or wherever it is you worship God. And true, you can. You can worship God by yourself. And we ought to worship God by ourselves. We ought to have our personal devotional times. But folks, there's something that happens when we all get together and we all begin to worship God and, and there is no other moment that God moves quite like He moves when there's corporate worship together. And so, and so we get to worship Him in a setting like no other. There's something He's able to do. You can read all through the Scriptures and people certainly at personal moments with God, but I can show you over and over again in corporate worship settings where God shows up in amazing moments. And so we gather together to worship Him. He, he moves in that corporate setting. Number two, I can encounter God in a unique and special way. Now, <clears throat> I love to hear the testimonies of folks that, uh, you know, have experienced God, you know, and, and, and I've listened to people through the years, you know, they were just, they were walking in a mall somewhere and God zapped them in the middle of the mall and they had this unusual, unique experience and we can all say praise God for things like that. Glad that you were by yourself somewhere and God spoke to you and moved on you. And can he and does he do that? The answer is obviously yes. But there is something about when we come together that God can be encountered 
in a unique and special way. I, I mean, those of you who, you know, have lived for the Lord a good long while, you know that, uh, that uh, while it is true, God will speak to you, minister to you. But something about coming into the house of God that we're able to encounter him when we just worship and we're together. I can encounter God in a way like none other. He comes and he's here and we're encountering him and you're hearing his voice in a way, even though it's my crashly voice this morning. Out of that crackly voice, the voice of the Lord comes out and you begin to hear him in a unique and special way. And that's why we gather in corporate gatherings because of that encounter. Number three, there's a fellowship with people who get how I feel. You know, a church is a lot like a gigantic support group. <laughs> they don't think I'm crazy when I raise my hands to the Lord. In fact, it's like I said, the best time to raise your hands is when you don't feel like raising your hands. And the best time to preach is when you don't feel like preaching. The best time to worship is when you don't feel like worshiping because it's at that moment God sees the heart. And He says, they must really mean what they say. He really loves me. And, and, and that's why I just felt like of all days it was important for me to arise and to come. Because there's strength in the fellowship with people who get how I feel. I mean, there's something special when we come into the house of God and I'm not in a hostile environment. I'm not in a difficult situation. I'm not with a group of people who have no clue as to what I'm talking about when I say that, that I'm, I'm, I'm praying to God, I'm believing Him for certain things, and they don't roll their eyes at me. They don't look like I've lost my mind. They, they, they fellowship and they get who I am and what I consider to be important in my life. There's, there's just a strength to that fellowship. I uh, ran across a story. story deals with a, a rather old-fashioned lady who was planning a couple of weeks' vacation in Florida. She was also quite delicate, delicate and elegant with her language, and so she wrote to a particular campground and asked for reservations at this campground. She wanted to make sure the campground was fully equipped but didn't know quite how to ask about the toilet facilities. And so she just couldn't bring herself to write the word toilet in her letter. So after much deliberation, she finally came up with the old-fashioned term, bathroom commode. But when she wrote that down, she still thought she was being too forward, so she started all over again and rewrote the entire letter and referred to the bathroom commode simply as the B.C., the B.C. Does the campground, she writes, have its own B.C.? Well, the campground owner wasn't old-fashioned, and when he got the letter, he couldn't figure out what the lady was talking about. That B.C. part really stumped him. So after worrying about it for several days, he showed the letter to some other campers, but they couldn't figure out what the lady meant either. The campground owner finally came to the conclusion that the lady was and must be asking about the location of the local Baptist church. So he sat down and wrote the following reply. Dear Madam, I regret very much the delay in answering your letter, but I now take pleasure of informing you that the B.C. is located nine miles north of the campsite. 
It is capable of seating 250 people at one time. I admit it's quite a distance away if you're in the habit of going regularly. And no doubt you'll be pleased to know that a great number of people take their lunches along. They make a day of it. They usually arrive early and stay late. The last time my wife and I went was six years ago. And it was so crowded, we had to stand up the whole time we were there. It may interest you to know that right now, there is a supper planned to raise money to buy more seats. They plan to hold the supper in the middle of the B.C. So everyone can watch and talk about this great event. I would like to say it pains me very much not to be able to go more regularly. But it's surely not for lack of desire on my part. As we grow older, it seems to be more and more an effort, particularly in cold weather. If you decide to come down to the campground, perhaps I could go with you the first time you go. Sit with you and introduce you to all the other folks. This is really a very friendly community. Aren't you glad for fellowship at the church? See, hey, If you have your Bibles, turn over to Psalm 92. Psalm 92, 12. Before I go to number four. It's on the screen, isn't it, guys? Yeah. It says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. And those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Amen. Go to the next verse. Is that 12 and 13? All right. Well, they'll flourish in the courts of our God. So why is it good that we gather together? Number four, it's because I'm going to flourish. I'll flourish in my destiny. I'll flourish in my purpose. It's interesting that whenever you look at folks that are doing well, it's amazing that they're folks that find themselves in the house of God. They flourish in the courts of our God. That's what the scripture says. Number five, it says that we will, number five, that I will bear fruit in my old age. I think if we were to go on in that particular passage, it says um, they shall still bear fruit in their old age. Those that are planted in the house of their Lord. Isn't that a good word? We're not getting older, we're getting better. We're not retiring, we're refiring. We'll still bear fruit in our old age. I was reading some statistics the other day. This was just good news for me that, that you know, there are a lot of people who think that if they haven't hit their destiny when they're like 30 or 40 years old, that somehow, you know, time has escaped them and somehow they've not been able to uh, achieve everything they should have achieved as fast as they should have uh, achieved it. But truth is, do you know, statistically, most people do not reach their life's destiny until they get into their 60s and 70s. And, and, and I believe, yeah, praise God, I'm because I'm, I'm getting closer to some of those numbers. But but truth of the matter is, is that we can bear fruit in our old age, just like Abraham and Sarah uh, were able to fulfill the purposes of God in their life, even in an old age we can still fulfill the purposes of God. And a part of that is being planted in the house of our God. Number six, Scripture tells us that by being in the house of the Lord, I'll be refreshed and renewed. You know, there is something about being in God's house that renews us, that refreshes us. 
It enlarges us. It strengthens us. It causes us to be renewed. There's something that just makes the weak. You know, that doesn't mean it'll be a perfect week, but oftentimes it does mean it's a bearable week because we've had that moment with God in corporate worship where we've been able to be refreshed and renewed. We've heard the word of the Lord. I believe you can go home and you can read your Bible and God can speak to you through the scriptures and these things ought to be done. But there is something even for me, there's something for me that when I hear God's word being taught or where, when I hear it being preached, there is something that just by hearing the word of God that strengthens me. Faith cometh by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so there's something about hearing the word of the Lord, hearing God's word being shared and being taught uh, that enlarges us. Uh, number seven. I will receive encouragement. Well, at least we hope that's the case. That when you come to the house of God, usually you find yourself encouraged. You usually run into somebody who's willing to speak to you some, some good word, hopefully some uplifting word, and you find yourself encouraged. In Hebrews 10, 24. Hebrews 10, 24, which is the command passage where the Lord says through His writer, He says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. When we come together, it's our opportunity to look at each other or to share with each other and, and say, you can make it. You can stay on target. You can live this week for Jesus. He'll be there. He will strengthen you. He will help you. Let me encourage you. You're making a difference. Keep your focus. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. That's important, is it not, to hear those words come into our life so that we don't give up and we don't uh, grow faint of heart or weary in well-doing. And so we receive encouragement, edification. We're built up. We're told that, you know what? God's still in charge. It's going to be okay. He still wins. I read the back of the book. It's okay. These are all good things when we're in the house of the Lord. Number eight, the reason I'm glad I can go to church is I can be the encourager. Don't just be a taker. Be a giver. Look people in the eye and be able to say, let me be an encouragement to you. Learn to speak encouragement. I've often said this. In fact, we've tried to live this way. That, that whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you want to be encouraged more, then you need to start being an encourager. Are you following me? Don't wait for someone to encourage and you walk away and say, well, why don't I ever get something encouraging? Why don't I ever get somebody that uplifts me? Well, let me just suggest you start sowing encouragement. Start sowing uplift. Start speaking well. And if you'll begin to sow these things, you'll find that God will begin to reap back to you those things that you need to have. That's why the Scripture says, if you want a friend, show yourself friendly. So we sow friendship. And as we sow friendship, we reap friendship. But uh, we can be an encourager. That's why I was glad when I could say I could go to the house of God. I can get up before you and I can be the encourager. I can tell you, even through all that we've faced these last three or four days, and even though I bonked my head last night, I'm still glad to say I'm in the house of God. I said, I can't, I can't just, you know, I can't just flit out on being at church, man. Not when you're talking about how important it is to be at church. And I know everybody would have understood it. 
And, and, and let me just say this, that at the end of service, I ain't hugging none of you, okay? I'm just, I'm not, I don't be offended. I'm not hugging you. I don't, I'm not, I don't want you to catch what I got, all right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move right down that aisle right there and go through that door. And, and please don't be offended, but I'm going to go back there and I'm going to drink some water. I'm going to wait till everybody gets out of this place so you don't get this. I wouldn't wish this on anybody. But, you know, it's, don't you think, oh, we just, you know, just because you have a runny nose, you know, we need to be in the house of God. Now, now granted, if you're up and you're getting sick every 30 minutes and you're, you know, I, I don't want you to come to, you know, and, and, you know, I understand there's, there's, there's lines and boundaries, but, but I also believe that this morning it's a, it's an opportunity to say, you know what, we need, we need to press through and we can be the encourager. Number nine, reason I could say I was glad to go to the house of the Lord is there's an accountability to my faith. There's an accountability to my faith. If I'm here, you know, it. of course, if I'm here or not here, you'd really know it, wouldn't you? But, but there's an accountability to it that people can see me. They can. They can evaluate where I'm at. There's an accountability to my walk with God when, I, when I'm found in the house of the Lord. And then, and then number 10, I just wrote down here, it's another opportunity for me to obey God. You know, just, just going to the house of the Lord, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it's an opportunity for me to just one more time say, Lord, I'm here because you've asked me to be here. I don't feel like it. I don't want to do it this morning. It just, it's stretching me, but I'm here because you've asked me to do it and I can be in the house of the Lord. Now, invariably, I'll have folks that will ask me on occasion. They'll say, Pastor, are you saying that you have to go to church to be saved? No, I didn't say that. I don't think going to church has anything to do with being saved. In fact, I'll just tell you this. I know that there are lots of people who go to church real regularly who are not saved. So going to church does not make you a Christian any more than sleeping in the garage makes you a car. I recognize there are people who, who are shut in. Tracy's, Tracy's dad, my father-in-law, is, uh, is a vibrant Christian gentleman. And, uh, you know, back in 1989, he was in an automobile accident and uh, it literally broke his back and he now has a 16-inch steel rod for the last 20 plus years in his back. And uh, it's extremely difficult for him to move and to get around for anything. I mean, just for the basic uh, uh, necessities of his life, he's finding it more and more difficult to get around. And so, so what about people like that? Well, sure, there's, there's a place for, for ministry on, on television and internet and these sorts of things. People who, by virtue of their jobs, I know that there are people who have seasons where they go through jobs and they're, you know, third shift and they've got to work weekends. And certainly, certainly these things are uh, uh, exceptions, so to speak, as to whether or not you can be when the, when the church normally meets and can be a part of it. Uh, I recognize the fact that there are times that it's unavoidable. It's just absolutely unavoidable and we can't be in the house of God. I get that. So don't think all of a sudden it's just a, a legalistic point I'm trying to make. But what I am saying is this. And that is, if what you got when you were saved isn't enough to get you to the house of God regularly, then why are you so sure it's enough to get you to heaven? I mean, if you're upset ever about the length of service here, what are you going to do when it's 24-7 worship?
I've had people say to me, Pastor, you speak a long time, which, which you'll not be able to say this morning. Because I guarantee for all those who think I talk too long, I'm going to be a blessing to you this morning. But if you think that it can be too long or the sermon's too long, what are you going to do with the voice of the Lamb speaking night and day? If you don't like the lights here, what are you going to do when you go to a place where the Scripture says there is no darkness there? For we'll have no need for the sun or the moon, for the Lord thy God will be the light and the lamp thereof. <laughs> hey, if God, God is boring to you here, then why do you think it's going to be all that exciting for you when you're with Him for all eternity? Now, I can only speak for myself. I'll just tell you a little bit about me. I remember growing up, of course, I think it's what teenagers go through. But I hated, I hated going to church growing up. I hated it. I would secretly, you know, I didn't pray much, but I did pray every Sunday morning that somehow or another. <laughs> but that would not be the Sunday we'd have to go to church that Sunday because I just didn't like it growing up. I, I mean, I haven't. I think I understand a few of the reasons why, but uh, I just didn't like it. I didn't want to go. I thought of every excuse internally to miss. But you know what's interesting? When you, when you encounter God, this is how I want to put it. I'll put it to you this way. When you get saved, I mean when you get really saved. I mean, I mean, if you get saved, you want to be around the guy that saved you. That's why when all of a sudden that happened, when a true, genuine encounter took place in my life, I was able to begin to say, I was glad when they said to me, I could go to the house of the Lord. And I'll just tell you, when, when I got saved with a group that went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I mean, you were, you lived at the place. And, uh, so we were there all the time, but I was glad when they said the house of God is open. They'd have, they'd have revival weeks, Sunday over Sunday, two weeks a year. You'd, I'd take time off work to make sure. I could be there all week long. Say, so you would do that? Yeah. Why? Because I was glad. When they said to me, I could go to the house of the Lord. I mean, if it's bad weather, it's just an opportunity to show my faithfulness and love. I'm not going to let a few raindrops keep me out of the house of God. Lord, I love you too much. You don't care if my head's wet. Of course, my hair doesn't move that much when it gets wet. If there's an obstacle, I know there's a blessing. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was thinking just as I'm wrapping up here, I was thinking just the other day of a man that some of you, some of you remember, his name was uh, James Harrowood. Those of you may be newer, you don't know James, never had a chance to know him. James with his wife, Lena, and their children, uh, we're members here. Lena has since uh, remarried, and I'll tell you why. But, uh, but they're in Ohio. But James, James Harrowood, I always think about James. James. James gave me the greatest illustration I'll ever have as a pastor for all the rest of my life. It was Sunday, and uh, we had an unusual moving of the Spirit at church that day. And I think I just had asked the people to kneel in their seats or something. We were interceding together as a body. 
And then um, after we had interceded, we all stood up and we began to worship God and, and uh, you know, lift our hands to the Lord and just worship the Lord. After service, it just so happened that we went out to lunch with James and Lena that day. You'd think it was coincidental, but I honestly believe it was providential. We went to lunch just right over there at Senior Tequila. We probably sat till about 2 o'clock. Said our goodbyes. Just a normal day. Just a normal day in the house of God. They went their way. We went our way. About 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I received a phone call. It was Lena on the other end. and She called me. Said that James had collapsed. The EMTs were coming. And, uh, of course, she was very concerned. So we quickly went up the road. And James died that day. But I started to think. I thought about how his first Sunday in heaven was prefaced by his fervency in the house of God his last Sunday on earth. We actually had the camera going and I watched it later and I could literally see James on his knees and then get up, lift his arms to the Lord and then to know that about four hours later, He'd be in the very presence of his God. I think James had the greatest preparation a man could have. And I think the poorest preparation I can think of is for a person's first Sunday in heaven to have missed their last Sunday on earth. That's why I said, if God ever takes me, I hope he just sort of grabs me at the end of my last message. I hope I'm in the middle of an invitation. And I'm giving the last 30 seconds. And he just. <clears throat> I bet we'd have revival that day. But what better time to go. To the best church service you'll ever know by preparing yourself by being in the last one you'll ever attend on this earth. Amen? I was glad. Don't you think James was probably glad? I think probably he was. It's glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Stand with me, will you?